This is Community Matters. podcast that brings you conversations that are critical to managing and governing condos, cooperatives, and homeowner associations. I'm your host, Tony Campisi, Executive Director of the Keystone Chapter of Community Associations Institute. Tune in each episode for the insights and information that are key to inspiring professionalism, effective leadership, and responsible citizenship ideals reflected in community associations that are preferred places to call home. Today, I'm speaking with Rick Close, Senior Consulting Arborist with the Davy Tree Expert Company. Like it or not, our climate is changing. In July of 2023, scientists recorded the hottest month on record, ever. The impacts can be seen all around us in the form of more severe weather, temperatures and storms, more intense wildfires, rising seas, and impacts on wildlife, including trees. We'll discuss the changing climate, the impact on farming and agriculture, the migration of pests and plant diseases due to the warming climate, and its impact on urban and suburban communities. Before we get to our topic today, here's a brief word from our sponsor, Hoffman HOA Law. I'm Ed Hoffman with Hoffman Law, LLC. Hoffman Law, LLC is a recognized leader in community association law. We're known for our responsiveness, legal acumen, leadership in the association industry, and our unwavering focus and commitment to education. You can learn more about us at our website, hoffmanhoalaw.com. Hoffman Law LLC is proud to sponsor this episode of the Community Matters Podcast. Rick, let me welcome you to Community Matters Podcast, and please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and Davy Tree. Uh, I've been with Davy Tree, uh, expert company, for 27 years. I'm a consulting arborist for the company. I handle metropolitan Philadelphia, eastern Pennsylvania, and uh, New Jersey, uh, basically providing uh, consulting services to uh, commercial clients, HOAs, property management companies, to help them uh, make wise choices about their tree care. Uh, Davy is a uh, national company. Uh, we have three offices in the Philadelphia area and uh, about 110 nationwide. So we, uh, you know, we've been around since 1880 when it was founded by Mr. John Davey. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that, Rick. And I should note, Davey is a gold partner with the CAI Keystone chapter, and we appreciate that. So, Rick, let's get into our content. We've heard lots of talk over the past couple of decades regarding global warming. In recent years, science prefers to use the term climate change. So our listeners can better understand this concept. What's the meaning of climate change versus global warming? Yeah, global warming, I think, was the term that was used uh, initially, uh, and everyone had a pretty clear idea. Oh, okay, the climate's going to get warmer. But the the difference between global warming and climate change is that warming of the of the surface of the earth, the air, the oceans 
has ramifications throughout the entire system, our ecological system our, uh, of the earth. And that's where uh, global warming is more associated with climate change in that climate change refers to the long-term changes in weather patterns because it affects so much more than just temperature. Climate change, you know, it can be affected by natural processes too, like we've heard of El Nino or El Nina or La Nina, uh, when uh, ocean currents change our, our weather for a year or so. But, and that occurs, that has occurred over millions of years. But since 1850 or so, it's been unprecedented increase in uh, temperatures and uh, CO2 levels in the atmosphere. CO2, carbon dioxide, is the main uh, driver of our, our increased temperatures. As they say, it's like putting a blanket around the earth. It doesn't allow all the infrared energy heat to escape the earth, and it, it reflects it back. So what we end up with is increased air temperatures, increased ocean temperatures, sea level rising due to um, glaciers, ice shelves melting, but also the fact that as the ocean temperatures rise, the water actually expands, almost like when you're boiling water, it begins to expand. And what has developed uh, in along with that is increased amounts of water vapor in the atmosphere because the atmosphere also holds more water now when it's warmer. So we have uh, evidence of much more extreme weather and increased precipitation and heat waves. Rick, as you know, there's been lots of debate from politicians, the media, the public in general, as to whether or not climate change is a real thing caused by human civilization or just the natural variabilities of our normal climate. So what's the current evidence that supports climate change? Well, in researching this whole topic, I, I was uh, learned tremendous amount that I wasn't even aware of. And it's certainly still probably an issue with people. But um, one report that came out from NASA, National Aeronautics and Space Administration, uh, they, their leading sentence was, it's unequivocal that human civilization and since 1850 has caused the rise in temperatures in in this in our the unprecedented rise in temperatures in our environment and they 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 go back into what they call paleoclimatology where they study ice cores tree rings uh sediments from ocean floors and they get an idea of what it what it's been like for the last 800,000 years or even further back so right now, uh, the current rise in um, temperatures is about 10 times faster than they've seen in the last 10,000 years. And uh, going back even further, CO2 levels are at their highest uh, in nearly 2 million years from their research. And it, right now, it's 148% of what it was in the pre-industrial age, which was before 1850. So surface temperatures since 1970 in that 50-year period are the highest in the last 2,000 years. Sea level rise has gone eight to nine feet since 1880 when, when they had some measurements uh, going back. 
it's it's difficult uh, to always be able to track back uh, because a lot of measurements, a lot of uh, meteorology wasn't taking place prior to the 1850s. But we do have you know evidence of of all these things increasing, including the melting of the ice sheets and glaciers, which we've all heard about. The the other significant factor, which which is a very important is the extreme weather that we're, we are we're experiencing more and more of. Nine of the top 10 extreme precipitation events in the world have occurred since the 1990s. And um, that's all due, again, to increased water in the atmosphere because the atmosphere is warmer, greater evaporation from the warmer oceans, and therefore a much greater amount of moisture in the atmosphere. When it, when it moves over land, it drops in much more intense rainfall. And, and we've seen that um, right in our own Philadelphia area. So how are we seeing these changes? You mentioned the, the, the weather, you know, increased rainfall locally. How are we seeing these changes here in the Mid-Atlantic region? Well, uh, interestingly, uh, it's, it's very, very similar. Uh, in, in the Mid-Atlantic from, say, Maryland, Virginia, northward through uh, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, eight of the 10 hottest years on record have been since the year 2000. And seven of the 10 years with the most days over 90 degrees have occurred since 1990. So that, that's an indication of what's happening with our, with our temperatures. Between 1971 and 2000, there was an average of, of about five days over 90 degrees. Now that that is increasing and it's predicted that in the next 25 years, that, that number could rise to 37 days, uh, which would have a significant impact on our summer weather. New Jersey also has experienced the same thing. Uh, they have had a 3.5 degree increase in, temp in air temperature since 1900. And one of the th important things to keep in mind is, uh, and I I didn't totally understand it at the time, is that a, th a three degree increase in temperature doesn't sound like a whole lot, but one scientist said, equate that to uh, your body temperature. How do you feel at 98.6 versus 101? It's only a couple of degrees, but at 101, you don't, you're, you're not feeling too good. And the, that's what's, that's what uh, the earth is responding to, these temperature rises. Sea level changes in, in our area. The Delaware River is up 12 inches just in the last century. And the, because uh, all the way up through uh, the Philadelphia area, it's, it's part of the tidal, tidal part of the Delaware. It responds to the ocean tides and the uh, what they call the salt front, which is the, the delineation between salt water and freshwater. It's currently around Wilmington, but the concern is as the sea levels continue to rise, which they will, and they expect the Delaware River to rise another 12 inches in the next 25 years, it may influence the water intake, which is in the Torresdale section of Philadelphia, Northeast Philadelphia. Uh, if, if the salt line reaches that water treatment plant, it will it will not be able to operate with salt water. So it's it's a concern as to how this will all unfold. Also, rain and extreme weather. In the last 82 years, there's been an increase of about eight inches in annual rainfall. Six of the 10 wettest years have been since 1990. 
severe storms have, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, basically the Weather Service, uh, 71% increase in extreme storms in the Northeast in the last 50 years. This has an effect on every one of us. I mean, and we we can read these stories like the, or the, the recent one at Washington's Crossing where a flash flood came down a, a, a hillside for of a small stream, washed away 11 cars and tragically uh, uh, killed about, I believe, seven people. Other things like flooding, um, Hurricane Ida uh, uh, caused the flooding of the Vine Street Expressway, which was unprecedented. So th this is just evidence of that we are experiencing exactly the same kind of thing that they're that they're saying is happening worldwide. Those are some pretty compelling examples, and I, I the thing that really struck me, Rick, is the the body temperature analogy that you used to to you know describe the rising temperatures. You're exactly right when when we're feeling fine at ninety eight point six, but you get sick with the flu or a cold, and your temperature is one hundred and one. Pardon the expression, but we feel like crap. So that's a really compelling analogy you used. How are cities, or I guess I should say, are cities and towns planning and taking action for the future regarding, um, particularly some of the issues you mentioned with rising seas and and uh, uh, more violent weather? Yeah, I I researched, looked into this to see where where that all stood. And uh, Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, I think, is a really good example. Their first uh, inroads into talking about climate change go all the way back to 2007. But uh, as of 2021, they, they developed something called the Philadelphia Climate Action Playbook. And um, I was impressed that they were that far thinking because it's it's a it's a two pronged approach that the city's doing. It, it's it includes reducing CO2 emissions, because ultimately, if we're going to ever stop the increase in temperatures and, and all the associated climate change that goes along with that, we need to eliminate putting CO2 back in the atmosphere. So the city has 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 worked at their own buildings, their own vehicles to get as as emission free as possible. The other uh, another important thing is in in cities where you have urban heat islands where temperatures could be 10 or 20 degrees warmer than the countryside, you know, there, there you have heat waves that can affect the citizens very negatively. And it, the city has um, a warning system that they'll put out regarding a heat wave that's that's approaching. And they put that out over uh, the Internet, over uh, news networks. They include showing uh, or letting citizens know where cooling centers are if 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 they're un unable to have air conditioning associated with uh their their concerns over uh the rise of the Delaware and the Schuylkill River and the potential flooding that can occur even on a high tide day uh they're looking at improvements in their storm drainage systems in specific areas of the city so that that they can handle these types of heavy downpours that are so intense they they also work at having discussions over sewer systems how that how they when when they're inundated with too much overflow from storms that this the sewer the sewer treatment plants they they overflow themselves into the rivers a lot of things that are long term solutions that will need to be made if the city is going to be able to to be 
continue in a, in a strong uh, posture because these things are not going to uh, change in the next 100 or 200 years. Uh, that's that's one thing that impressed me uh, was that the things we're seeing now will not go away in any time soon. All we can do is hope to deal with at them as we see them and not contribute more so to make the situation worse in another 50 years. The fact that that they're paying attention to this now and they're going to be putting a lot of money into green infrastructure is an indication that they're looking long term to uh, solve these problems that they don't feel are going to be going away anytime too soon. Um, I also looked at uh, uh, the Delaware uh, Valley Regional Planning Commission works with counties like Montgomery County, Chester County, other ones on developing climate action planning. They're not they're not as far along as the city of Philadelphia is, but they are they are doing that um, that type of planning, which I think is extremely beneficial. So these are um, quickly evolving factors, uh, climate change factors. Are they going to influence the growth of natural world or our natural world, including things like forests, trees, plants, et cetera? And, and I'll give you an example. How is farming and more importantly, food production systems going to be going to be impacted by climate change? Actually, the farming uh, contributes about 25 percent of the emissions, uh, fossil fuel emissions uh, that go into the atmosphere. So uh, one thing they need to do is work on. Uh, more uh, efficient, uh, less less polluting uh, farm equipment. But what happens with warmer temperatures? You have earlier springs, you have later falls, and you have situations where farms farmers are growing certain crops that may not tolerate the uh, the heat stress in in the summer weather, especially in heat waves. Uh, certain crops only grow in optimal temperatures. If you've ever tried to grow lettuce or spinach and it, and it gets it gets warm out, it 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 they they bolt, which means that they go to seed very quickly. And that's just a minor example. But on the other hand, warming can can benefit farming in that it allows it allows for a longer season. But farmers have to be able to adjust it, and uh, maybe the types of crops they're growing maybe eliminate some crops. And um, that will won't tolerate the increased uh, temperatures. The other part of this is with higher air temperatures, you have more more soil evaporation of moisture, which uh, can lead to dry soils and drought conditions. So farming is going to have to look at uh, better ways of irrigating that doesn't add fossil fuels like solar, adding using solar to for irrigation uh, run irrigation systems. Another big piece is uh, pests, both insects and diseases. The warmer it gets, the better they feel about it. And uh, they, they, the insects, especially, they have a longer season to uh, feed on plants. Farming is going to have to adjust their practices to accommodate that type of situation. And again, uh, ultimately, it, it will probably involve new crop varieties that have to be, be developed for a warmer climate, especially in our, our mid-Atlantic region. Let's talk specifically about trees and plants that are part of our urban and suburban communities um, and you know, make up a, a significant portion of our landscapes. How is climate change expected to affect these components of our human environment? Yeah, I like to, I like to look at uh, the, the trees as, as our urban forests. 
for the U.S. population, about 80% of us live in, in urban or suburban conditions. So the trees, the urban forests are pretty important to us and, and our quality of life. And as I had mentioned with the city of Philadelphia, areas that have a lot of paved roadways, parking lots, buildings uh, become urban heat islands. They, they absorb and don't give off as much heat, uh, don't re radiate it as away as do country scenes. So it puts a lot more stress on trees in, in these urban environments. The trees normally in urban situations already have compromised uh, growing space, especially street trees where they, they can't expand their roots. Uh, they may be growing in poor soil that's heavy clay. You have those pre-existing conditions and then you add into it a temperature increase that is slowly climbing every year. And uh, depending on the species, trees can only survive within a specified defined condition for their own health. Not all trees can tolerate heat or cold of uh, different levels. Uh, some trees will not be able to survive in our changing uh, climate in the next 25 to 50 to 75 years. The other thing that happens to uh, our, our trees is that the phenology changes. And phenology has to do with things like spring flower development, leaf out uh, in the springtime when they, when they uh, leaf out and leaf fall. When, when you have warmer conditions, everything will move forward. You may have two to three weeks earlier springtimes coming up, which, which will change the flowering and leaf out of trees. And th this can be beneficial. And it can also be a problem in that a lot of times you have uh, situations where uh, you'll have an early spring and uh, suddenly we have a overnight freeze one night. A lot of uh, trees and shrubs can be significantly harmed when it, when they're putting out new leaves and they have a freeze. Uh, so it, it could affect certain species that way. You have also warmer days create more evaporation of the soil, just like in farming, and you'll have a lot more dry conditions. The thing with uh, our soils in urban environments is that they're not like native forest soils. Heavy storms, it seems like they're getting a lot of uh, water uh, rainfall, but a lot of it can just run off because the soil just does can't absorb it. It's compacted or or just too small of an area. One other thing I wanted to mention: a lot of people uh, may be aware of this term, hardiness zones, because hardiness zones pertains to the the average lowest temperature that a tree or a plant can survive in the winter, and that dictates what can grow in our area. So right now we're in what they call zone seven which for any gardener would, would know that, okay, that, that works well. What wouldn't work here is something that can only tolerate zone nine, which is temperatures uh, no lower than 30 degrees. That's why you don't see palm trees growing in Conshohocken streets because they're, they're a zone nine tree. They can only tolerate temperatures down to a certain uh, minimum. Whereas here, we tolerate our zone seven trees go down to can tolerate uh, down to zero degrees or even lower as for short periods of time. So we're going to see changes in our hardiness zone, which means that we we need to look at species of trees that can grow in different hardiness zones than uh, we currently have. Rick, you mentioned southern insects and pests and diseases that are moving north with the warming climate. How is this trend going to affect? 
are present tree species throughout the Mid-Atlantic. Yeah, when you have warmer temperatures, it allows insects and diseases that can only grow or, or survive in warmer conditions to work their way north. And one uh, particularly significant one is the southern pine beetle. This is an insect that uh, devastates pine forests and pine trees in the southern United States. Uh, recently, in the last couple of years, it's been found in southern New Jersey. It's been working its way north because of the warming temperatures. And it's predicted to continue to work its way north all the way up through New York, all the way to Maine eventually. So that is a significant impact on our pine trees, not just in the pine barrens of New Jersey, but our pine trees in our backyards. Another insect is the hemlock woolly of Delgid, which is an interesting name. But eastern hemlock is the state tree of Pennsylvania. And for a number of years now, it's they've been infested, especially in a southern part of the state, by this invasive insect pest, which slowly over time kills hemlocks by the thousands. What's happening is the temper as the temperatures are rising, they're seeing a migration of this pest northward into higher uh, elevations within the state, further north in the state, and a likelihood that this will continue to be a, a, a problem even for our area because the, the longer season for them to, to live and survive without having to go dormant allows them to feed more on the uh, hemlocks. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful tree that we're having trouble uh, keeping them because of this uh, significant pest. Another thing that's, it's not an insect or a disease, but um, kudzu vine, which people may have heard of. It, it's a Southern vine that again, was imported over a hundred years ago as erosion control. But this is a extremely aggressive vine that overgrows everything in its path. Uh, they they say that it, it can grow a foot a day. It it now has reached New Jersey, and Pennsylvania is not far behind. Again, it, it is on the tails of warmer weather, uh, warmer conditions, and allows it to survive. And yet the other uh, existing conditions we have, such as ticks mosquitoes. They expect that uh, tick populations will be able to be more active throughout the year, almost entirely throughout the year, instead of being killed or being dormant during the winter. Mosquitoes, uh, when you have damper conditions, uh, you, you end up with a larger mosquito population. Oh, and one other thing that I, I happened to read was that Morris Arboretum mentioned how significant an increase in poison ivy they've had in the last 20 years or so uh, at their Chestnut Hill Arboretum. So um, I don't want to be all bad news, but they are they are the, the pest problems that are currently looking at us. You mentioned a couple of tree species already. Will some tree species be affected more by climate change, whether that's a positive or, or a negative thing? Yeah, definitely. Many trees that have survived here for a long time, and I'll mention a few uh, that are in all of our communities and many, many homes, will probably be in the decline over the next 25 to 50 years. That includes beech, hemlock, white pine, which is a very popular tree, especially in, in uh, like homeowners associations and other communities as a screen. Two other trees that, that have been planted that, that are already struggling will, will probably struggle more. That's Colorado blue spruce and Douglas fir. They both suffer from a, a disease called needle cast, which is a fungal disease. 
the warmer conditions, longer season, wetter weather in the spring, especially exacerbates that problem. And we'll probably see a lessening and lessening of their presence uh, throughout the uh, throughout our area. Other trees will be able to adapt fine to increased temperatures, rainfall extremes, uh, sycamore, redbud trees, which are very popular, uh, sweet gum trees that, again, popular trees that will do well as long as they're in well-drained areas. Pin oak, black oak are, are popular trees too, but they don't tolerate wet conditions. And if we have intense flooding storms, that could be a, uh, that could be a problem for those trees. All in all, that scientists are looking at about 130 species in our eastern part of the country that are basically making a northward migration. And what that means is that as the temperatures warm, the, the seeds that they throw out either, either from birds or whatever, that they can take root and they, over a period of time, work their way further and further north uh, in our country. That means we're going to lose some of the nice trees that we have, but then on the other hand, we're going to also have an opportunity to see some other species come in here. So let's talk about that. The, the, what, what types of new tree species do you think we'll, we'll see in our part of the country, you know, in our cities and, and communities over the next few decades as this climate change trend increases? I read about a uh, an interesting experiment that's being done to try to uh, get answers to what new species are uh, acceptable. A uh, a group is taking acorns from white oaks and from chestnut oaks in Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York City, and Hartford, Connecticut. And what they're doing is they're growing them in the Philadelphia area and Fairmount Park. And they want to see if the genetics of the Baltimore trees make them more tolerant of warmer conditions because Baltimore has much warmer conditions than we do in Philadelphia and New York City and Hartford have cooler. So they want to see if the acorns are are genetically set to be able to handle a warmer climate. And that will be a a great answer as to where to get get seed sources for nurseries in our area to grow trees that will be tolerant of drought and heat. Another experiment that's currently going on is planting of loblolly pines in Fairmount Park as an experiment. Loblolly pine is a is the premier southeastern U.S. tree for forestry and for uh, communities. It's a very aggressive tree, a beautiful tree when it's mature, and uh, they're they're growing that right now to see how it how it will do in uh, in in our current conditions, knowing that we're, our conditions will get warmer and be even more amenable to uh, that tree growing. There are nurseries that are working on new hybrids of some of our valuable trees, like red maples and elms, to try to find cultivars that are much more adept at handling drought and and temperatures. But there are there are some really good choices that were, are coming our way for the future. If anybody is you know has ever been to the South, things like American holly, which grows you know natively in uh, Washington D.C. And, and beyond, will be a good choice for our part of the Mid Atlantic. Now, other Southern oaks that that are beautiful trees like Southern red oak, laurel oak, post oak. They will all have much better conditions to grow in up here than than they have in the past. So we, we see a lot of potential for for new trees, even though we're going to be losing uh, some of the uh, some of our old stalwarts. And again, if predictions are right by twenty one hundred, uh, our hardiness zone here in the Philadelphia area could be 
uh, zone nine, which is equivalent to northern Florida. So we may still see palm trees growing in Conshohocken at some point. I don't like palm trees, so that's not uh, <laughs> that's not enticing for me, Rick. Um, let, let me ask you a final question related to homeowner associations, community associations. What can we anticipate for the changing maintenance needs and costs for trees in communities over the next few decades? What do property managers and homeowner association boards need to plan for and enact in the in the way of updated landscape and tree maintenance programs? Yeah, I think this is a very important uh, subject for uh, homeowners associations. They most all have contracts with uh, for landscape maintenance and tree care uh, annually. We, we're going to be seeing, as I've said, um, warmer weather, heavier precipitation, longer growing seasons as, as the CO2 in the atmosphere continues to gr- go up. All this will have an effect on on the landscapes and the trees in, in the communities. Longer seasons mean you might have to start cutting grass in March. Heavy storm uh, conditions, uh, intense rainfall over short periods of time could affect uh, drainage basins uh, as far as uh, overflow and you know and the need to make sure that those basins are well maintained so that they drain properly. For the trees, we're going to see a decline in white pine, Douglas fir, Colorado spruce, sugar maple, which is a beautiful tree, and beech. And with that decline, the way to to keep them as long as possible is to give them the best conditions to grow in. That means boards may need to consider supplemental irrigation for those species or additional pest control and fertilization to keep them going as long as possible. And Summer drought is, a, is, is going to be another potential problem because of the changes in precipitation brought on by these heavy storms. And that's why irrigation, more irrigation may be needed to keep these trees uh, in a healthy, uh, livable condition. With the soil compaction that we deal with in these environments and, and uh, poor soil conditions, things like keeping this, the soil invigorated, keeping it aerated and uh, Good mulch beds around trees are are going to be an important part. Pest control uh, will probably be something that's going to increase for trees because you're going to have insect activity earlier in the year and you're going to have it a longer lasting period of time during the year. Things like mites uh, that affect a lot of tree species, most of them love hot weather and they will perpetuate anytime the the weather continues to stay warm. Uh, Diseases as I've mentioned, Douglas fir and blue and blue spruce are unfortunately uh, suffer from a couple of diseases that are very difficult already, and um, they will just continue to get worse. For the future planting of the communities, it's really important. I feel that boards put together a game plan on replacement trees as trees die or uh, storm damage occurs, uh, and, and trees have to be removed. Appropriate species need to be chosen that take into account the fact that we're going to have warmer conditions in the next 25 to 50 years. And mentioning storm damage, trees that are well cared for can make it through storms much better than trees that have been ignored for decades. So proper pruning, keeping trees uh, well cared for and and, uh, yearly inspections is a pretty important point. 
when you have trees that are going to be growing a lot more than they have in the past uh, because of the additional uh, warmth and uh, carbon dioxide in the air, you're, you're going to have a lot more pruning needs too. These are all food for thought for the communities. And I already had one community in Southern New Jersey ask me a, about a list of trees that they would want to consider for replacement. And uh, I thought that was pretty proactive on their part. Well, Rick, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for joining me today for this episode of Community Matters Podcast to talk about the impact of climate change on our region and specifically on our community associations. You can find more information about Davy Tree by visiting their website at www.davy.com. That's D-A-V-E-Y. Thanks for listening to Community Matters. We're glad to have your attention for a short time. Thanks once more to the sponsor of Community Matters podcast, Hoffman HOA Law. You can find them on the web at hoffmanhoalaw.com. Interested in being a guest on an upcoming episode of Community Matters? Reach out to me at tony at caikeystone.org. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get notifications every time we post a new episode. And please share our podcast with your colleagues and friends. For more resources and best practices on managing and governing your condominium, cooperative, or homeowners association, please contact CAI or visit our website at www.caikeystone.org. Thanks again for listening.